Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Julie R. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, February 9th. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 5, starting with the first paragraph, Liquor Ceased to be a Luxury. We'll be reading through four paragraphs, ending with, and so I did. Our, our first paragraph will be read for context and comments will be on the second, third, and fourth paragraph. Today's readers are Carolyn S.H., Katie G., and Janice M. The reference number for Wednesday, February 8th, is 9581. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry, oops, somebody's coughing, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence in the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Leslie M. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Julia R. Thank you for your service. This is Leslie M. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and um, grateful to do this service. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leslie M. I will now ask Esther F. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Esther F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. The 12 traditions. One, Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 
Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Esther S. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page five with the first paragraph starting with liquor cease to be a luxury. We will be reading through four paragraphs ending and so I did. The first paragraph will be read for context only, comments to be done on the second, third, and fourth paragraph. I will now ask Carolyn S.H. to begin reading. Hi, good morning, Julie. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hello. Um, Thank you so much for your service. Good morning, everyone. Carolyn S.H., gratefully uh, recovered compulsive eater in Massachusetts. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bathtub gin, two bottles a day, and often three got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars, and I would pay my bills at the bars and get delicatessens. This went on endlessly, and I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. A tumbler full of gin, followed by half a dozen bottles of beer, would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. Gradually, things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder, 
My mother-in-law died. My wife and father-in-law became ill. Then I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at the low point of 1932, and I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits. Then I went on a prodigious bender, and that chance vanished. I woke up. This had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business. And so I did. All right, I'm gonna set my timer. So again, Carolyn S.H. gratefully recovered compulsive eater in Massachusetts. Um, in reading these pages this morning, uh, and I did read ahead a little bit just to remind myself of exactly where we are in Bill's story. Um, he's talking about um, his absolute powerlessness, and he, you know, we're still in this story. We've already had four pages of um, understanding his powerlessness, and um, in the second paragraph on this page, um, it's a very short paragraph that describes circumstances other than his drinking, um, and uh, and things that are completely out of his control, like people's health. Um, and then the third paragraph is about, um, like, so we go from bad, and then the third paragraph, uh, good stuff. Um, there's an opportunity, a business opportunity, and yet he still gets drunk. Um, and then this fourth paragraph, like he's talking about his resolve. is okay, now I really mean business. Um, I'm going to stop. And he says, and so I did. And yet we're going to see that he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop for another two years. Um, and the whole point is he can't stop. Uh, and he learns that in two pages um, when he meets Dr. Silkworth. Uh, and he learns about the allergy. But um, where I identify with this is, um, like, part of me, when I was reading this, it's like, I, part of me doesn't want to go back and remember how hopeless I was and powerless I was, because um, it's extremely painful. Um, and he, you know, he says in a few pages, alcohol was my master. And um, not to be dramatic, but sugar was my master. Like, I just, it was, it was everything to me. <laughs> and, um, and it, I would, you know, I would do things that, that, I mean, I know you guys all know this, that wouldn't make any sense. Um, and I also wanted to say that I, oh, I only have 45 seconds left. Um, I, I have a lot of friends in, in this program who have recently or currently relapsed. And um, I have found myself even trying to control it and trying to solve it with them, you know, and be on the phone. Oh, maybe you should do this. You should, you should do that. You should do this. And um, this is just such a reminder. We are powerless. This is a, this is, this is a disease. The whole reason we're here and the whole reason this, the steps work is because we, we, there's nothing else that works. We can't control this. It's not about willpower at all. Um, and I, I'll end with this. I, um, the way I got abstinent is I never stopped, so I never put down <laughs> sugar. It was it. I, there was a day or two that I tried not to eat, and I and I asked, you know, I prayed and prayed, and my 
sponsor gave me prayers like, you know, God, please make sugar disgusting to me. <laughs> God, please give me abstinence. Um, and um, my favorite uh, um, AA speakers talk about how um, they say, we don't quit. We, we never quit. Um, and there's a famous AA speaker that says, you know, when I had my last drink, I didn't know it was my last drink. And if I had known it, I would have had two, right? It's like, um, yeah, so actually I'm out of time. Um, I'll end there. Thank you. Thank you, Carolyn S.H. Again, I'd like to remind everyone that we will be focusing our shares on the second and third and fourth paragraph that was read. Who would like to share? Harlan G. Larry. Harlan. Rita P. Um, oh, hold on. There's after Harlan. Larry. Reva P. Reva P. Larry. I have Larry. I have Tina. Sally. There was somebody before Larry and before Tina. G. Somebody G. That's who I'm looking for. Hi, it's Carol. Carol, there you are. Okay, we're going to stop there. I have Harlan. Reva P, Carolyn G, Larry K, Tina S, and Sally A. Go ahead, Harlan. Thank you, Julie. And thank you to Team Thursday for all your service. Um, the middle paragraph, then I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at a low point of 1932, and I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits, and I went on a prodigious bender, and that chance vanished. This is a story within the story that takes place in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. There was a group in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Now, if we look at the paragraph, two paragraphs up, it says, I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of sobriety, which renewed my wife's hope. Bill was on one of his diets, and these guys from Cherry Hill knew how good Bill was. So they wanted him to come in and help them, and he was to share in the profits without putting up any money. Lois's, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Lois's mother had died. His, she herself had become ill. Her father had become ill. He comes home and tells Lois that he's got this great opportunity, and Lois's feelings, Lois's hopes are through the ceiling. They meet in this hotel in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and there's a guy in there. Now, this is during Prohibition that's got a bottle of Applejack homemade whiskey, and he calls it Jersey Lightning. And the bottle goes around once, and Bill says, I'm not drinking. Now, nobody in that room knew a thing about alcoholism. Bottle goes around again, nothing. Goes around a third time. The guy puts Bill Wilson on the spot. He says, Bill. I made this myself. You can have one snort. Bill Wilson takes one drink of Jersey Lightning, homemade, organic, kosher, vegan, gluten-free. No. He takes a drink of this whiskey, and he doesn't come out, out of that hotel room for three days, and the chance vanished. Now he's got to go home and tell Lois once again that his drinking has caught up with him again after all his promises, after all his oaths not to drink anymore. You can just imagine what he feels like. 
and the chance vanished. He woke up. This had to be stopped. He writes little things in their Bible every New Year's. Honey, this is the year that John Barleycorn isn't going to ruin my life. This is the year I'm going to quit, Lo. This is the year that I'm going to finally give it up. And every time he makes these oaths, every time he makes these promises, as I did, I meant them, but I hated myself because every time I made those promises, I was lying to myself and lying to everybody in my environment. This is alcoholism. This is compulsive overeating at its, at its worst. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan G. Reva P. followed by Carolyn G. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. Um, this paragraph reminds me the phases of my disease. You know, at first it was fun. Then it was a necessity. And then it was killing me, and I wanted to stop, and I couldn't. And here, you know, Bill is just starting to realize how powerless he is. And all the eyes, all the eyes, I have to stop this. I know what I'm doing. I'll figure this out. I'll try harder. And it never, ever worked. Um, And it's a great reminder that, you know, I can go on a diet, I can stop for a little while, but I can't stay stopped because it's not just about the physical, it's also about the mental thinking and that blank spot, that blank spot that no matter how awful the consequences, no matter how many resolutions I make, I will do it again tomorrow. It's like I just forget, forget everything. And I have to also remember, in abstinence, in recovery, it's only a daily reprieve. I can't bombard any problems, not just the food, um, anything in my life. As soon as I get into I, I'm in trouble. Um, And thank you, God, for the steps that help me align with my higher power so I have right action, whether it's about the food, about relationships, work, anything. And then life goes way smoother. With that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. And Carol G., followed by Larry K. Thank you, Julie. Good morning, Vision for You. It's Carol G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Hi, everybody. I woke up, seize the day, everybody, seize the moment. When when I used to wake up before the 12 steps, it was such a short-lived experience. I always would wake up, but I'd fall asleep very, very quickly again. Um, and it was really interesting to me over and over how those intense feelings, those intense needs to change, um, that point-blank decision that I would make in 10 seconds, and then in the next second, I would be immobilized by doubt, fear, prejudice, whatever, food, um, and just refuse to ask for help. And I think what had to stop for me was saying the word, I'm fine. I had to face facts that compulsive overeating is a silent killer. I mean, my alcoholic friends would fall over in the street, smash things up. I could actually sit quietly in a chair, in a corner, eating and die, and nobody would have ever noticed. I mean... Day one, I knew what I was. I knew I had a big problem, but I couldn't face it. I couldn't face it because I was constantly trying to face it on my own. I was constantly dusting myself down, getting back up and starting all over again and trying to run this 
I don't know where to, but out of my life, it wasn't possible until I had a spiritual awakening as a result of these 12 steps. So I was listening to that this morning and I was just thinking just how bullheaded and stubborn I can be. Um, even at the moment, I'm asking for help from somebody from uh, an emotional support from the cancer people, my pride, my ego, my self-esteem, asking for help, it doesn't come easy to me. But I was dying of something silent. I was dying of something that couldn't be seen by anybody else because I was always in a dark place, in a corner, hiding in another room, in a car, in a bar, somewhere hiding and eating and nobody could see me sneaking food from my bag constantly eating I was dying of something so quiet and insidious our invitation to you is if you mean business get started and get started right now because when he says we mean business what's the business we're dealing with here 12 steps follow the directions it's fabulous it's wonderful life is still difficult but we face it without the food and we face it with our higher power thank you everybody bye everybody thank you Carol G Larry K, you're next, followed by Tina S. Hey, Julie, can you hear me okay? I can. Okay, great. Thank you for your service. Larry K, uh, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. Um, yeah, we see the progressive nature of this disease. We, we see that it's tightening its noose around Bill's neck, and I can relate to that as well. I Reminded me this morning as I, you know, I think about the progressive nature of this disease. There's a, a guy, young guy, that would come to one of my 12-step meetings. He's so articulate and such a bright future. Seemed this this disease is a killing disease, and um, he's doing well. And he uh, he uh, he put in his case his substance down. It wasn't food. It was another substance that was killing him. And uh, and he would share. He'd come, just like we come to this meeting every morning and, and he would share and I, I was riveted by what he would share. He certainly knew this disease and what a grip it had on him. And um, and then, you know, then one day he, uh, I didn't see him for a bit and, um, well, he uh, he's dead and he's never coming back, this young guy. His faith died with him in his cups in his disease. He was in his 20s. Um, and he's never coming back, and I'm sure his family misses him terribly. I know I miss this guy. I didn't even really know him very well. Yeah, this, if you're coming here to lose a few pounds, maybe just to, maybe improve your relationship, that's great. We're, you know, all you need to be a member of this deal is a desire to stop, to stop eating. That's it. You can come here and play around and get entertained and so forth. I know I did for a lot of years. But this is a killing disease. That young guy is dead dead and he's never coming back yes faith is dead too it's not with him today you know i i think about that and i, I don't want to sound melodramatic but this disease was killing me there's there might be one or two on the line where the disease almost killed you you almost died in this disease how lucky we are to be here i'm so grateful to god that i'm here i'm alive i'm present this morning um and I, I recognize that there's different bottoms. There's higher bottoms, lower bottoms. We're all entitled to be here. No judgment. But there's someone on this line that's going to be dead. And I pray that you will pick up the spiritual toolkit laid at your feet. Because if you do, rarely have I seen a person fail. 
who has thoroughly followed this path. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry K. Tina S., followed by Sally A. Thanks, Julia. Tina S., recovered compulsive eater and uh, anorexic in Florida. Great stuff, great stuff. Uh, wow, you know, I'm glad I was reminded that uh, when I'm playing God and in the paragraph, you know, the I, 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 you know, uh, I'm pretty much screwed, you know. And, and I also get baffled about how I, I usually think this chapter doesn't apply, and then when we read it, I go, oh, my God, there I am. And, uh, you know, on my own, you know, uh, every avenue exhausted to the, to the solution which I come up with in my disease, you know, I was finally uh, sent a treatment where there was the solution, you know, the big book and um, a food plan, entirely, entire abstinence. And so, therefore, you know, I had the opportunity, you know, um, a couple years prior to my finally getting abstinent and working the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous to have a, a daily reprieve. And um, But what happened for me was, you know, I, I took what they gave me and then I left and I thought, well, you know, I'm not as bad as they are. Let me just, you know, keep dieting. That was my solution. The thinner I get, the more I'll be able to function in the world. Well, well, my experience is the thinner I got without a plan for living, without a solution, I became paralyzed by fear. You know, I moved to Florida because this is where it was, you know, the solution and all that kind of stuff. And what happened was the opportunities I had for jobs, I couldn't go to. You know, I couldn't go to those interviews. And and what happened was I became jobless and homeless and ended up in a, a halfway house. And these were things that happened after I had the solution, but I was not practicing it. And so, therefore, you know, I, I love what was just shared. You know, the progression is, is tremendous. You know, I got to a place of where I wanted to die, and physically I could have. I was at a very, very low weight after coming in at a high weight, you know, whatever it is, on my own. And so today I'm just so grateful that one day at a time I keep being reminded by through these studies of the solution that, you know, uh, what I got is one shot today, and if I pick up these tools like was just shared, you know, I, I, I'm on the way. You know, I'm on that journey. I'm on that journey with everybody else, and, and grateful. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina S. And Sally A., you're next. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for your service to all of us. Good morning, A Vision for you. It's Sally A., by the grace of God, a recovered compulsive overeater. And I wanted to speak on these three words, I woke up. You know, he, it, he leads up to this with giving us so much detail. It's, I think, miraculous that he was able to remember any of this because I know that when I was in the food, I was so drunk. I, I don't remember what I said or did. And here he is giving us great detail. And, but he does tell us, and I can certainly remember this, gradually things got worse. And that's for sure. The program teaches us that it's a progressive disease, and there's no doubt in my mind that there is that there is a progressive nature to our disease but i too believe that we have a progressive recovery that my recovery this time is much deeper just like page 55 where it says deep inside i had to go deep inside to really look at the demoralization of the disease. When it says here, I woke up, what it says to me is not just that he woke up to his problem, his, his uh, drinking problem, 
but that he woke up to a much bigger problem. He woke up to his character defects because he had this incredible opportunity, a promising business opportunity that was going to give him share generously in the profits. When I see those words, I'm reminded not just of waking up and realizing each morning, oh, no, I'm back in the quicksand. Oh, no, I woke up the monster within me. But I also wake up even this morning and think about my character defects that I am so well aware of and that I am powerless to remove. And let me close by saying my mouth, my tongue, is the seat, if you will, the seat of my character defects. It's much more than what goes in my mouth that gets me in trouble. It's what comes out of my mouth, my words. And if all action, if all of my words are born in thought, then I must slow down my thinking because God is in the sacred space of the pause, and that is my only hope. Thanks for letting me share. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally A. Who else would like to share on these paragraphs? Kim G. Kim G. Uh, this is Ra- Roz R. from Florida. Roz R. Vasa O. Amanda R. Amanda R. Craig S. This is Raquel. Did you hear me? Um, no, I did not. I'm happy now, Raquel. Did you hear Vasa? Vasa. Okay, I have Vasa. Thank you. Suji. Okay. Suji, we'll go ahead and stop here. We've got Kim G, Roz R, Amanda R, Craig F, Raquel, Vasa O, and Suji. Kim G, go ahead. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and and I always giggle when Harlan mentions Cherry Hill, New Jersey, because that's actually where my home group is. Every Sunday morning, I'm in Cherry Hill, New Jersey at 9 a.m. And, and not to call out Harlan, but I remember when he came here for a big book study, we took him to a diner in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And he was like a little kid in a candy store being in Cherry Hill. Um, so as we read this page, where we're really being introduced to the disease just starting to whirlwind. You know, from luxury to necessity, you know, I remember when I could keep my binges to the weekends, and then they started to creep into the weekdays, but only at night. And then they started to creep into the day. You know, when they talk about this Jersey Lightning, this this exception he made, I still remember two binges. When I was doing pretty good, but when I went in the grocery store and I saw that there was Oreo cereal, I mean, my God, how brilliant to make Oreos into a cereal. So, of course, I tried it, and I was off on another bender. And then another time I've been pretty good and I'm in the line at the grocery store and they made Reese's peanut butter cups and white chocolate. Well, how could I, how could I live without ever having tried Reese's peanut butter cups and white chocolate? And off Kim goes on yet another bender. Because you think at at that point I was really convinced that the problem was that I indulge. The problem is I can't limit myself to just four slices of pizza. I can't limit myself to just one sleeve of cookies. But it says here, this had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. And at this point, Bill has not met Dr. Saltworth. He does not know about the allergy of the body. But I remember that same experience. I got to the point where I understood the fight was not at the fourth slice of pizza 
or at the end of the first sleeve. The fight was opening up the bag, the cellophane box, because I knew instinctively, not understanding the allergy, that once I started, I could not stop. And it says here my, that I meant business, and so I did. That is so painful because I did mean business. When I said tomorrow is going to be different, when I said January 1st, 2017, my life is going to change, I meant business. You could hook me up to a lie detector test, and believe me, I would have passed. And the frustration I felt being called a liar, being called a cheat, being told that I, why did I promise them when I, and then break my promise? I didn't understand that I couldn't keep that promise. And I so remember this time in Overeaters Anonymous, in my bulimia, which was mostly exercise bulimia, that I had come home and I had opened up the freezer and I took a bite of something that was frozen that should have been cooked. And the allergy was triggered and I was eating and eating and eating and I was a, a human calculator with calories in and calories on my elliptical. And I lost track and I started digging through the trash trying to figure out that calculation of how much penance I had to do on that elliptical. And I realized I looked like a heroin addict digging for a needle. And I sat on the kitchen floor rocking back and forth going, oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I can so relate to Bill Wilson as he plummels into this disease. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Roz R., followed by Amanda R. Hi, can I be heard? Yes, you can. Thank you. Um, this is Roz R. from Florida, and I am so excited to say that I am recovered. Um, I have. I am just so grateful today. Um, in reading... In reading these paragraphs, it brought so much to mind. Um, uh, but the thing that stood out to most to me was the line that says, then I went on a prodigious bender and chance vanished. I was reminded of so many things in my life through the years um, when I had opportunities to, to progress in, in a job and to go for um, uh, a, a promotion. And the day before the promotion, I was so nervous about, um, you know, my responsibilities and would I be good enough. And, you know, yes, I was in program. Yes, I was thin. But, yes, I didn't have a program of recovery and I didn't have a support and I didn't allow people to know who I was. And I went on a prodigious bender, bender, bender and called in sick, never showed up to the appointment. And I can remember when I got into real estate and I had my first closing and it was the biggest amount of money I was ever going to get in one time. And I remember coming with bags of M&Ms in my briefcase and in my pockets, and I couldn't even sit there without eating them. And the, the, it didn't even mean anything to me. Nothing meant anything to me. All I could think about was food. And I paid the price with this disease. I ended up with Crohn's disease, and that is not a pleasant thing to have. And I know that was from years of starving and binging and starving and binging. And, you know, it's like the thing that I, I am so grateful for today, you know, with the progression of this disease – there was also a progression, you know, of recovery, and I've been in and out of recovery. But what I what I realize is the gratitude that I did not I did not allow people to know me or to um, to confess what was going on or to have the support that I have in these rooms and oh, in these rooms <laughs> on this meeting. But it spills out everywhere. But I'm just I'm so grateful uh, to to be able to be on this call and to be able to hear everyone share all the things, you know, that they share. Um, I know that I cannot take that first bite. Uh, I've, I've experienced it too many times 
and I've always given myself, you know, the, the sentence in my head, you know, this time it will be different. It was never different. And until I started working in vision and with people in vision, you know, did I realize that, you know, the seriousness of this disease and the seriousness of that, of the, of identifying my toxic foods. So um, I'm just, very grateful to be here, very grateful to be able to um, have have this opportunity to uh, to now give back what I've been so generously been given. And um, with that, I'll pass. And thank you for your service. Thank you, Roz R., Amanda R., and then followed by Craig F. Good morning. This is Amanda R., I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Maine. And I'm um, looking at that that part where it says, I woke up, this had to be stopped. I saw I could not take as so much as one drink. I was through forever. And uh, it's making me think uh, about two years ago, the first time I, I ever came to OA. And I heard that message of I, that there are certain foods that I just cannot take into my body or I am off to the races. I I don't know how much I'll eat when I when I have a little bit. It might be a little bit, it might be a truckload. So I was like, all right, great, you know, got the message. I'm going to stop eating those things. It it really wasn't a fight for me. I gave them up. I got cleanly abstinent. Um, I was through forever. It's like Bill W. I I can't take as so much as one drink. But the problem was I didn't realize I didn't have the power to stay stopped like that. I'm looking back. I don't know if I I didn't clearly hear the message, or more likely, I did not want to hear the message um, that I am actually powerless over this bit of staying stopped. And I was working the steps pretty slowly. I mean, I had a sponsor with the best intentions. We would get together, I think, once or twice a week and read the big book for half an hour or so. And, and that, that was my step work. I, I never really got into, um, you know, working the steps intensively. And because of that, about a month, I think it was a month or a month and a half in, and I was really enjoying abstinence. Well, you know, physically I was enjoying abstinence. Mentally, my mind was kind of in a whirl. But I felt great physically. I had more energy, you know, uh, body felt good. And um, and that mental blank spot came in and just covered up that, that message of I can't have any. I was like, well, I'll just have some today and I'll be back abstinent tomorrow. No big deal. And that was how I lost my abstinence. So... This paragraph, it it talks to me about being abstinent without working the steps. And it's it's a sort of a painful message to to absorb that we're not actually capable. But thank goodness there is a very, even much more hopeful message that there is within each of us. Each of us can find a power through working the steps that makes this whole thing possible, and not only possible, but joyful. And, um, yeah, that's all I have to say. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Amanda R., Craig F., and then Raquel. This is Craig F., and recovering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Can you hear me? I can. Good. Thank you. Um, you know, my favorite time of the day, I think, is 
that period before the sun comes up, that twilight period. And I, I, I just always have enjoyed that. Uh, it's also the coldest part of the day, the coolest part of the day, and it can be the darkest part of the day. Um, but it's it still, there's a, there's a hope uh, that is in that sunrise, a hope for a new day. And, you know, I, I read this, we read this period in Bill's life, and and I could see that he's getting close to the bottom. You can just feel, we we all, I think, can just feel that he's he's about to bottom out and go up. And and there's a, to me, there's there's hope, so much hope in that paragraph. There's, there's like, I, we can see ahead to the sunrise. But, you know, unlike the, unlike the sun, that it's going to come up at its appointed time, no matter what I do and what choices I make, the, the recovery, the, the idea that we've allowed a bottom to be a bottom, that isn't necessarily a given. We, we can get stalled and stay in the twilight uh, for a long period of time. And uh, that, that isn't, it isn't as automatic. And, but nonetheless, there's still, there's, there's just so much hope in that bottom. I, I have a son that uh, I, I believe shares this disease with me, and and um, there's not much I can do for him. Some days, uh, just try to work the program and and show him that it works. But you know, he he's stuck in the twilight because he has people around him—a mother, a, a a wife, a a mother-in-law, a niece—that that take care of him, and they and they allow him to stay in the twilight, they don't allow him to hit the bottom. And, you know, at that bottom can be so painful, but it can be so necessary if we're going to, if we're going to see the sunrise and if we're going to see life come new uh, in the morning. And, uh, I'm, I'm just so grateful that life's come new in the morning and that I am able to find the recovery that I found in working these steps through the big book way and intensely and uh, that uh, that you all have been here to to support me. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Craig S. And Raquel, followed by Vasa O. Hello, this is Raquel. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, thank you so much for your service, and thank you, everybody. Such wonderful, important sharings. I need to sit down and write it all, and I can't right now. I hope my phone doesn't cut out on me, and I'll set the timer. But uh, still, you know, I may get carried away, so please remind me. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I saw I couldn't take even one bite spontaneously that was not planned in a part of a meal, even if if it is the correct food. Even if it's my meal, and I just go at it in a way that is not, you know, not serene, I already get the results of a uh, hangover. But this, I saw I could not take so much as one drink. It's good I hear it now because I'm going at 5.30. Somebody's picking me up to go to uh, give condolences to a friend of ours whose brother just committed suicide on Friday from alcoholism. And this young man, 25 years old, I met at an NA meeting, and he's in both programs, and he, as I walked with him 
uh, you know, towards the bus station, uh, we talked, and he said to me, if you tell me that I cannot eat the whole pizza, a family-sized pizza, when I sit down, I'd rather die here on this sidewalk. Well, guess what? Did you hear from him for a while? I'm going to meet him now because he called me that they're sitting uh, the seven days, the Shiva, after his brother. And I know that I'm going to meet a whole family of compulsive eaters and, and addicts of every kind because I know the family already because he asked me to come to talk to his father who was in the hospital that they had to bring, a, he had a stroke uh, from uh, a state of diabetes and they had to bring in a lift to take him from the, from the chair, from the wheelchair to the bed. And after I, the second time I came to talk to him and I bought a beautiful meal um, to, for him and for his uh, attendant, his helper, he said, after we finished, he said, you're a very nice lady and what you're saying makes sense, but I'd rather die with a piece of cheesecake in my hand, preferably chocolate coated. So now I'm going to comfort this young man who is in the food, whose mother keeps on telling him that what Rachel is saying is such so exaggerated, you know. So it's exaggerated all the way to quiet suicide or active horrible suicide. But this is a killer. And it takes us a long time to know, you know, that it is. Time. Not, yes. No, I put the timer on, but I forgot to press it. To uh, I, I thank you all for being there and for letting me share. And I'm going in the company of another um, friend in program because I know what I'm going to see there. And uh, the house is just full of the foods that all of us rather not eat, even those who are not compulsive eaters. Thank you so much for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Raquel. And Vata O, followed by Sue G. Morning. Thank you, Julie, for your service, and I'm grateful. Recovered, compulsive overeater calling from um, uh, Florida. Yes, this is a killer disease. I would be dead today. Oh, I would be very, very, very sick woman today if I didn't come uh, to this um, OA program and if this book was not given to me, and and if I didn't follow the directions, the solution, the way it is laid out here, and before I came, I remember making my so I made myself so many promises that I was going to go on this diet or that diet, and I was going to just put the food down, and I made my husband make him promises. You know, we would even make bets. You know, and I would always lose and didn't have the money to give it to him, so he would forgive me, forget it. Forget it, forget it, you know. And uh, I, it, he says, I woke up. This had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. I mean, I can identify with the alcoholic, and I have much more compassion for alcoholics today because it is a horrible disease. I can identify with the allergy and the, and the mental obsession. And we, I, we had this woman in OA, and she lived alone. She was a big food addict like me. And, uh, you know, she was in and out. And, you know, I remember calling her every once in a while to see how she was doing. We didn't hear from her. She wouldn't answer the phone. Well, they went in. They found her dad. 
and we surrounded all the food around her. It was, it was just, um, uh, it was just horrible thing to see. But as I said, it's a killer disease. And I have my friend right now. Her daughter's, she was in my daycare. You know, the little baby. And you could tell from the beginning. You know, she had a disease. And it's progressive, you know. She's 18 years old now, and she is really into the food. And she, her mom is worried, and, you know, and we are praying. And unless if she's ready, I was, you know, I needed to be ready. Nobody could have done anything for me till I was ready and willing to surrender with the food and gradually with my life and my will. And there's no way about it. I cannot make anybody abstinent. I can share my own experience, you know. But faith without the works is nothing. You know, God is not going to come and bring it to me in bed, you know, on a tray. I have to work for it. And I'm so grateful. And uh, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. And Suji, we have about, oh, we have time. Go ahead, Suji. Good morning. Thank you for your service. This is Suji from Michigan, recovered by the grace of God. In recovery, actually, at this point, I'm going back to step one because I have a control issue. I have discovered that my main character defect is control. And as Bill thought he could, still thought he could control, when I try to control, I'm on a diet, and I'm recognizing that. Um, I did go on a bender with sugar, and I have given that up. It doesn't call my name anymore. I don't want it anymore, but I do have issues with other foods that um, that I don't binge. I haven't had a binge since that last one about a year and a half ago. But I, um, I have a hard time seeing that that I could die from it, maybe because I haven't had anyone around me, maybe because I haven't really talked to anybody who's come close to death. Um, my health is held, um, even when I was overweight. And But when, I, when I'd had enough sugar, candy bars especially, when I just had had enough and couldn't even finish what I was bringing home and I was giving the leftovers to my husband, until he said, I can't keep eating your leftovers. I did mean it when I said this time, you know, when I meant business, I did mean business, and I've stuck with it. Um, or I should say the Lord's helped me stuck with it, stick with it. Um, so I, I'm reading ahead, and I shouldn't, okay. Um, I have not had an incident where I've blown a chance for a profit or a chance for an opportunity because of my eating. Um, it's never interfered with with life except for maybe um, the way I, my behavior or my emotions. And um, so I'm still in the learning process. Um, I have sponsored when I've been absent. I've been absent for long periods of time and then, then I would eat something and I, I would call it a, slip, but my sponsor would call it a slip. And, uh, but I've got hope. I've got hope that if I can understand that this is a killing disease, that it's progressive and that it can kill me. If I think if I can actually see that, understand that, 
that I'll be able to put down. The Lord will help me put down uh, everything I need to put down. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Suji. We have time for maybe one more share. Irini. Nessa R. Irini, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your service. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Always giving credit where credit is due. I woke up. (laughs) There were plenty of times in my disease that I even was able to see the truth. A flash of light into my darkness, I woke up. To be even capable to be honest in that state of being. But was I willing to listen to that pure wisdom? Was I willing to place my heart in that flash of light of truth that would set me free? Was I willing to let go of what I had hold on to? Was I willing to let go and to to go to any lengths and have the desires of my heart? But I didn't want to let go. Even when I saw that flash of truth, that wasn't my desire of my heart at that time. I was being seduced by my disease. My desire was to continue to be seduced by the food, to continue in that pleasure of those few moments of pleasure that I valued at the time. I didn't need, at the time, intelligent awareness. I needed in the depths of my being, in the depths of my desire to surrender so I can be awakened from this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Key is get connected, be connected, and stay connected to strengthen that rope of connection to God. And that rope is thick enough to hold you and nothing can sever it. And to continue to build the foundation and make it as thick as possible because underneath that God, that foundation is God's foundation. That's my quicksand. And I'm very grateful for today to stand on God's foundation. Thank you. And I pass. Thank you, Irene. Um, This is Julie, R. recovered compulsive overeater. We got about a minute and a half. You know, that last paragraph, I woke up, this had to be stopped. So many times that I try the new fad, the new shot, the new pills, the new brown rice diet, whatever. And, um, you know, I really thought that this was going to be it. This was going to be the one. And my family was praying that it was going to be the one. Not because they didn't love me because I was 300 pounds, but because they were fear, fear ridden that I was going to die because I was waddling. I didn't walk. I waddled. I couldn't fit in rides at Disneyland. I couldn't play with my kids on the floor. I couldn't walk 20 feet without stopping. Um, And then I would be so psyched about this new plan until I took that first bite because of the mental twist, because I couldn't not take that first bite. And then I wouldn't talk about that diet. And then my family would just kind of watch things disappear. You know, the the pain that we put other people through, not just us, it's those that love us. They they can't help us. How many times did Bill's wife try to intercede? How many times did his brother-in-law, father, whatever? And, you know, when my last relapse, 
that I never thought it would happen again, that I wouldn't gain 70 of my 150 back. My family had a, a family me- meeting. My boys and my husband had to get me back to my structured and disciplined program because they saw their mother dying. And, you know, today I am a recovered woman only because I'm staying in 10, 11, and 12. And it's not just a little thing that I say. It's work. I work at my program because my program and my life are synonymous. So this is um, this disease is a death sentence. And I know I died spiritually, and I was on my way to dying physically. So the good news is, is we don't have to do that. We never have to overeat again. And I am grateful for um, Bill and Dr. Bob. I am grateful for all of the people who live in recovery and share for the newcomer because that's what we're supposed to be doing. And with that, I pass. So it is now time to close the meeting. Thank you for everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Katie G, please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hey, Julie, can you hear me? I can. Awesome. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Reader, Anorexic and Bulimic in snowy Boston. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.